Hello and welcome to a very special episode of TOTS. I'm your host, Ben Gardner. Joining me today is astronaut Nicole Mann. Nicole, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here, Ben. Absolutely. So start off by telling me a little bit more about yourself and how you became an astronaut. Um, sure. So I grew up in uh, Northern California with uh, my family, and I have one sister uh, named Kirsten. And then uh, after high school, I went to the Naval Academy and uh, majored in mechanical engineering there, and I played soccer as well. Um, after the academy, you choose either to uh, serve in the Navy or the Marine Corps, and so I chose Marine Corps and was commissioned as an officer in the Marine Corps. And then it was off to a grad school for me, uh, and then eventually to flight school. Uh, in flight school, throughout training, I selected jets and then flew F-18s, which are Hornets, the same uh, jets that the Blue Angels fly. I then um, served in Beaufort, South Carolina and did two combat deployments on the USS Enterprise. I flew flying missions in Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, after that, it was off to a test pilot school uh, and then flying test flights in Pax River, Maryland. And that's where I applied to become an astronaut and was picked up in the class of 2013. Wow, that's awesome. So. What is that process like when you apply or get picked up to become an astronaut from the point where you're picked and then to actually becoming a real life astronaut? So it's a, it's a little bit of a long process, at least the application process. Uh, just like any other government job, you submit your application online on usajobs.gov. <laughs> and, <then, laughs> uh, and then kind of the whole process starts, which is about two years long. It involves uh, many different rounds. Uh, a couple trips down to NASA where you go through a series of uh, medical exams, physical exams, uh, formal interviews, some type of team building skills, some types of random tests where you really have no idea what they're testing, uh, and just uh, a lot of evaluation, really. And then after a couple rounds of interviews, they make a final selection. In my class, they selected eight people. There were four men and four women, and we are known as the eight balls class of 2013. <laughs> uh, so That's once great. you're selected, you're, you're known as a, you're an astronaut candidate for the first two years, uh, affectionately known as an ASCAN. And essentially, <laughs> it's like starting all over again, man, you're like back at the bottom of the totem pole, and you just start training. Uh, and so you learn a, a slew of things to, to become an astronaut, which are, are really cool. Some of the main training events and evaluations you have to go through one is flying and, you know, as a military pilot, uh, that's already kind of kind of your niche. So we fly the T-38 November, which is a modified um, jet, a single engine super uh, afterburner jet that NASA flies. And then you also learn all about the International Space Station from a systems perspective and a science perspective. You also learn to uh, speak Russian language training. You have training on the robotic arm, which is an arm built by Canada. And uh, you learn how to fly that arm and that arm is used to reach out and and capture visiting vehicles that have cargo. It's also used, you can put an astronaut on the end of it during a spacewalk and you can maneuver the astronaut around. So you learn to fly that from the inside of space station. And then you do the uh, spacewalk training, which is, um, it's called EVA, which is extravehicular activity. And there's a huge lab at NASA that has a life-size mock-up of the International Space Station. And they put you in a spacesuit and pressurize you to 4.3 delta PSI, so PSI above ambient pressure here, because uh, when you go into space, you're at 4.3 PSI inside that suit. So they blow you up and they stick you in the water. And <laughs> there's a team of, of divers that use weights and foam to try to make you neutrally buoyant. So we're trying to simulate 
microgravity, and then you crawl around the uh, space station doing your work, whether that be maintenance or a modification. And that's uh, some of the best training that we have for, for something like that you would do actually in space. So after two years of training and a lot of evaluations, you pass all that, and then you officially become an astronaut. Now you're an astronaut, but you're an unflown astronaut. So that's kind of the next step. Uh, you'll work right. in the astronaut corps. You support uh, current missions through mission control as the uh, Capcom or capsule communicator. You can work on new development projects. And then, and then one day you get selected for a specific mission. And then you spend about two years training to fly that specific mission before you go to space. And, uh, and typically it's a six month mission on board the International Space Station, sometimes a little bit longer. Uh, and then you come back down to earth and you kind of start all over again as far as supporting other missions in the office and then awaiting your next uh, flight assignment. Sure. So you said you have to be selected. What have you been selected to do and what missions do you have upcoming? So I've been selected to be the test pilot on Starliner, which is a new spacecraft that Boeing is building. And uh, this spacecraft will take astronauts to the International Space Station. So we have the opportunity to fly the first crew flight of that spacecraft and, uh, and take it through its paces to make sure that the systems are all functioning properly in space. Then we'll dock with the International Space Station and spend about six months on board uh, supporting space station science missions, hopefully some spacewalks in my future. And yeah. then we'll return on that same spacecraft uh, testing all the systems back down to Earth. So that's Starliner, and uh, we're hoping to launch sometime next year. That's incredible. So you mentioned there's a lot of really specific training that you do as far as whatever miss mission that you're assigned to. What has been the hardest part of your training to actually go to the International Space Station? So I think the hardest training, but also the coolest training is that spacewalk training that uh, that I talked about. And really, when you're in that suit, uh, it's kind of, you're just in, in an enclosed system. And so when you're pressurized at that 4.3 PSI delta he, here on Earth, you're really blown up. And so every time you want to move your hands, you're working against that pressure. And now a run in the NBL, the Neutral Buoyancy Lab, is six hours long. So you're underwater for six hours working pretty hard um, on whatever maintenance task that, that you're training on that day. And they do the best they can to really simulate just like it is in space. So every cable, every bowl, every piece of space station is mocked up just so in the water. And then you carry around all the tools you would use in space. And there's hundreds of tools, but whatever tools you're using for that mission, you carry around. And a lot of times you carry a lo-fi or a low fidelity tool. So it might be a drill, but this drill is made of plastic and, uh, and it has some buoyancy to it. So because in space, obviously, there's no weight. You, it could be 200 pounds and you wouldn't, wouldn't be able to tell other way, other it, it has mass, so it would have some momentum. Sure. But you have this tool. And so you will have that in space and then you'll put it up to a bolt just like you normally would. And then a diver will swap it out with a real tool that actually functions. So it's heavier, though. And then you can drive that bolt and whatever bolts you need to do or connectors and remove. Uh, for instance, say I'm removing a pump on the outside of space station. I can remove that pump pass it off and replace it with a new one. And so that training is so much fun, but I tell you, it's a kick in the butt. I was in the, the pool, we call it being in the pool, uh, yesterday. And, uh, you know, I can still, like your shoulders are sore, your hands get sore. Uh, because of gravity, if you're inverted at any time, you get a lot of pressure on your shoulders. And so your shoulders and all those bones and muscles will, will get sore, uh, but that's great training because obviously in space, sometimes it's easier for you to approach a situation inverted 
and and it doesn't matter since there's no gravity you don't get blood flow to the head you don't get any pressure on your shoulders um, so it's extremely challenging especially because you can't really practice it you know you can do what we call chair flying where you kind of think about it and visualize it but there's no simulator there's no practice test you can do you just have that six hours in the water and and everything you're doing you're you're being evaluated on while you do that so you really have to to take your time to move through those steps methodically. Sounds like it. And it also sounds like a trip to the pool with you is a little bit different than a trip to the pool with most people. It's There's a lot <laughs> it, of different things involved. It is a little different. You'd be amazed how how much support there is, like how many divers it takes to to do this training and the simulation. But it's just incredible. If we, if we ever get a chance to have you out here at NASA, I'd love to take and show you the pool. It's, it's pretty impressive. That would be incredible. I will bring uh, my NASA one piece. It'll be glorious. And uh, <laughs> I don't even need a team. So really, I'm saving you yeah. guys money. You'll be you'll be all set. <laughs> exactly. So talk to me a little bit more about how you became an astronaut in terms of mentally. Did you grow up wanting to become an astronaut and join the military? And, and where did that start for you? You know what, Ben? I didn't. And, and really only it's because I wasn't... Uh, I wasn't sure who astronauts were. I had never met an astronaut. I didn't know what it meant to, to necessarily be an astronaut or, or what that entailed. So, you know, I think as a young kid, I was just interested in, in science and math, um, you know, certainly enjoyed, you know, looking at space and the stars and, and kind of dreaming. But to me, I never realized it was something that could be a reality. So I didn't, didn't put too much thought into it. I think, you know, throughout high school, I realized maybe halfway through that I really wanted to serve in the military. I just wanted to be a part of something that was, you know, bigger, but bigger than myself and, and feel like I was contributing, uh, you know, to the world. And so I started looking at the military academies. I also played soccer my, my whole life. And so, you know, as a, as a 17 year old kid, soccer was a huge, huge part of my life. And so I was looking at schools where I could also play soccer. So really the Naval Academy uh, to me was best, the best of both worlds. I could go there, study. It was a great school major in engineering, I could serve my country, and I could also play soccer. The The coach at the time, and actually still the coach, is, is uh, Karen, and she was like my idol growing up as a kid, pushes her on my wall and everything, and so when I went there for a recruiting visit, she definitely caught my attention there from the soccer perspective. So uh, then, you know, during my time at the Naval Academy, again, I knew maybe in my first year there or so that I wanted to be a Marine, but I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And then the summer before my senior year, I got a ride. During the summers, we do training with different uh, portions of the Marine Corps so you can get an idea of what you'd like to do. And I got a ride in the backseat of an F-18. And that was wow. the first time I had flown. And I was like, wow, you mean I can, I can fly this and be a Marine? Again, best of both worlds. Let's do it. I'm all in. Um, and so really enjoyed my time uh, flying the Marine Corps. Uh, but, you know, I missed kind of the engineering side of stuff also. And so that's what really led me towards test pilot school, where I could use my academic background and kind of help to develop and influence the new next generation of weapon systems and of aircraft in the military. And so, you know, again, best of both worlds kind of for me being able to apply my engineering skills and, and still fly as a test pilot. Uh, so it was really during that time when I was looking at test pilot school and thinking, what other options do I have? What else can I do with my career that I kind of came across uh, NASA and started looking to see what are astronauts doing these days? What are the missions aboard the International Space Station? And I started looking at some biographies of current astronauts. And 
And I found a couple that were, uh, you know, military test pilots, engineering background. And I was like, wow, maybe this is something that could be a possibility. So when NASA opened up the selection process, uh, when I was in Pax River, which was about 2011, I submitted my application thinking, well, you know, I can't discount myself. I'll just, I'll just give it a shot. And, and fortunately made it through the selection process and got picked up in 2013. So it wasn't, you know, a plan that I had totally laid out. I think a lot of times these days, kids have a lot of pressure just to have it figured out, you know, from day one, you know, kids are taking AP classes as a freshman and sophomore in high sure. school. And I think there's a, you know, a lot of pressure. You got to get this done and know what you want to do in your path in life. Uh, but I don't know that that's necessarily true. If somebody has it figured out, that's great. But for me, I didn't, I just followed my passions in life. I, you know, make sure I kept all those doors open. You know, take those extra academic classes. Certainly, take those AP classes. Do your extracurricular activities. Stay involved. And then, when you reach a crossroads, you'll have an opportunity to decide because you'll look around and oh, all these doors are open because you did well in school and you got all your extra qualifications that you needed. Uh, and then you'll have the chance to decide. So that was that was how I ended up uh, as an astronaut. That's awesome. So it seemed like, kind of like you said, you didn't really have everything figured out, but you kind of knew certain steps of your life. You're like, I want to go here because of the soccer and and do things like that. And then the next step, you're like, well, I kind of want to be a Marine and then test pilot. And so it seems like your career really kind of built off of your curiosity and kind of your love of, of your different passions. It really did, Ben. And if you had asked me, you know, as a as a senior in high school, hey, do you think you ought to be an astronaut? I would have said, uh, no way. Are you kidding? <laughs> sure. And listen, you know, I think we actually have something else in common other than liking pools. Uh, I actually went to Navy soccer camp and it's it's tough over there. The, the Navy people are uh, they're very tough with their soccer. They like good players. How did that teamwork aspect and, and the constant drilling um, how does that help you when you're going to space or you're working with your team in a much more stressful environment? Ben, I think it's helped me tremendously because you're really at the academy and, and I'm sure you learn this other places in life as well, but especially at the Naval Academy, you have to balance your academics with your athletics, with your military training, with kind of your, you know, your social life as well. And so putting those all together and trying to prioritize appropriately at different times was, was challenging, but I think it really helped prepare me uh, for future challenges in life. And, and specifically being on the soccer team and working in a team teaches you so much just about group dynamics, working together with, with people that, that may be a little bit different than you. And then from a leadership perspective, really that peer leadership can be some of the most difficult uh, you know, leadership to master. And so I think those experiences with the soccer team, whether that be, you know, working hard and, and running those extra sprints and, and winning those games and being so proud of your team or together at the same time, losing some of those games and, and coming together and figuring out how you can get better as a team and, and taking responsibility for your actions. It really laid the foundation for, for the rest of my life. That's great. So Tell me about how becoming an astronaut and, and all of these different steps, how has that changed your life? Well, it's changed it quite a bit, as you can imagine. Now, in the, in the Marine Corps, we're used to moving really every three years or so. And so the unique thing about being an astronaut and, and being a Marine is that we are stationed here at Johnson Space Center, which is in Houston, Texas. 
and and we're here for the long haul. So the good part about that is it provides a lot more stability for my family, which is great. Uh, at the same time, though, it's really busy. That tempo is very high. And so, you know, again, goes back to juggling career, juggling family. I have a son now. He's eight years old. And so, you know, my husband and I, uh, you know, work to, to juggle support for him and our family as well. And so, yeah, I really do pull on some of those things I, I learned at the academy now, just maybe in a different uh, perspective. You know, again, there's there's quite a bit of travel, you know, international travel for training. And then, of course, preparing for a space flight mission, which is similar to a deployment where you're going to be gone for six months or so, but a little bit different as far as, you know, you're launching on a rocket and leaving the planet um, and, and not Only just- Only a little know, different. Yeah, a little different, um, <laughs> which, you know, so it's, uh, and especially now having a kiddo. So having an eight-year-old and trying to explain to him, you know, what mom's doing, uh, having him understand- that, you know, there are risks taken with it, but they're all very calculated risks. So having him, you know, prepared yet not be scared for the mission that's that's upcoming. And and he's eight, so he's starting to to grasp it a little bit, but I think still sometimes he doesn't really understand that I'll be off the planet for six months. He just wonders, you know, well, who's going to make him chocolate chip pancakes on Saturday? <laughs> that's concern number one, you know, concern number two, uh, how are we going to watch a movie together? So uh, it's just a much more kind of basic uh, approach to life. <laughs> sure. And I mean, I'm sure most people who are part of military families can agree that it's already going to be a juggling act. And there's so many balls in the air. You're trying to figure out this and that and deployments. But leaving the planet is is something all together. So how did you start to have those conversations with your son? Well, a lot of it, I took him to uh, Kennedy Space Center. Uh, so KSC is in Cape Canaveral, Florida, and that's where I'll launch from on an Atlas V rocket. And so we had the opportunity to visit KSC. He got a chance to see the spacecraft, to see the rocket, the launch pad. And I think that's really when he started to put it together that okay, this is what mom talks about when she's getting on top of a rocket and launching, <laughs> and launching the space and just give him a better appreciation for it. You know, he also got to meet all the incredible folks out there that are working on the spacecraft, the team that's working on the software and on, on the rocket. And so I think it really gave him a sense of, of how big this is and how important it is to our country and how many people are involved in this, this whole process, not only to ensure mission success, but also to ensure our safety. Absolutely. And I mean, it, it is a huge undertaking. There's no other way to phrase it. Um, tell me, if you could, about the Artemis program and what that mission entails. Absolutely. So Artemis is our mission going to the moon. So NASA is building a spacecraft called Orion, and it'll launch on an SLS rocket, and that'll take uh, Americans to the moon, and it'll land the uh, first woman and the next man to walk on the moon by 2024. And so this is a huge, huge stepping stone and our long-term vision for NASA and as a country to send humans to Mars. And so the Artemis mission is also going to build a gateway, which is, um, it's a small orbiting type of a laboratory. It's an outpost that'll be in cislunar space. So that'll be in the space between earth and the moon in some type of an orbit. And it's actually an orbit that's able to be changed. And this is an international uh, project. And so we, us and our, the United States and our international partners are building Gateway. Uh, Orion will go to Gateway. And then from there, we'll have landers that will go down to the moon that are robotic. We'll also have landers that have humans that will go down to the moon. There's a lot that we need to learn 
technically speaking and also from an operational perspective on how to live and work in space in more of a remote environment than low earth orbit where the international space station is and a lot of that is our preparation and technology development for our future missions to mars so it's a it's a huge undertaking it is um you know part of this big strategic goal and on the moon you can think of that as as a stepping stone to mars and it's and it's getting really close orion the first uncrewed flight of Orion should be a launching, uh, hopefully next year. Wow. That's incredible. And what is your involvement in that project, um, now and, and going forward? So before I was selected to be the pilot on the Starliner mission, I worked, uh, what we call exploration, uh, in the astronaut office. And that was specifically Orion SLS and, and this, uh, the development of gateway. And so I was involved in a lot of the uh, testing, and, and development of these new uh, systems. Once I was assigned on the Starliner mission though, I was kind of taken off that support role and you go specifically back into a training role. So for the past um, two years now, I've been training specifically for the mission on board the International Space Station and really working on the development of Starliner. There's been a lot that we've accomplished uh, you know, the, most of the or the hardware is done and complete. There are some some tweaks that we're making, but there's still changes in the software and certainly changes in the procedures and the operational concepts about how we're going to live and work in space inside this brand new spacecraft. That's huge. I mean, this is literally like world changing stuff that that NASA is currently working on. Uh, does it ever feel like it's like going too fast for you? Like you're trying to stay up with everything going on and, and we're just advancing too quickly? You know, it's certainly busy. It, it, I think the time flies. I think, oh my gosh, it's already August. I can't believe where did where did 2020 <laughs> go? You know, um, but as far as the you know technology development goes, it's all really laid out quite well. And so uh, I think you're we're able to keep up with the technical challenges and, and all the testing. Like I said, it can be extremely busy at times, but I tell you, it, it's so cool and it's so much fun uh, just being involved. In something that's this big and it means so much to to our country and really to the world. That's awesome. And so there was a recent launch uh, with SpaceX and then uh, the people who were sent up to the ISS were just brought back. How did that go for NASA and what does that mean for the future of space travel? That went just wonderful. It's great. And so it was uh, Doug Hurley and Bob Bankin that launched on SpaceX and that was the first launch that we've had of Americans from US cellular since the shuttle stopped flying, which was back in 2011. So it had been a long time that we now have return launch capability to America. And prior to that, we were reliant on the, on the Russians on a Soyuz spacecraft to get our astronauts to the International Space Station. So really launching um, Doug and Bob on SpaceX is this first step in this commercial crew era. And what that is, is it's NASA turning over really low earth orbit to the commercial industry. And this is different. So the two companies are SpaceX and Boeing that are that are building these spacecraft to take astronauts to the International Space Station. And it's not like an old, like a government contract of past where they were just subcontractors. These companies have been contracted for the mission itself. So they build a spacecraft, they execute the training, and then they launch the astronauts to the space station. And as we turn over the transportation of astronauts to the International Space Station to commercial industry, this allows NASA to focus on its more strategic goals, being the Artemis mission to the moon and eventually to Mars. And what this does for America and the commercial industry is it opens up low Earth orbit. So 
transportation of astronauts is the first step. I think in the near future, you'll see transportation of folks that are not astronauts to the International Space Station. So you can just imagine, you know, what a scientist up there, you know, instead of an astronaut trying to carry out, you know, a scientific experiment via, via instruction from somebody on the ground, some a scientist can be there doing their actual experiment. Or a journalist or an artist could be in space and they can much better describe the, the beauty of our planet Earth from the perspective of space much more so than an astronaut can. And so hopefully we'll be able to share that experience and communicate that better to people. It'll also open up industry for other companies to send a small space station um, into low Earth orbit or a spacecraft to do some of this technical development and some of the scientific research that you simply can't do on Earth because of gravity. There's a lot we can do from a science perspective in microgravity uh, that is just impossible to do on Earth. So I think it's really gonna change uh, the landscape of low Earth orbit, and it's also gonna change and open up a lot of opportunities for folks to go to space folks other than astronauts uh, to really make that journey and impact our life here on Earth. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, at least from my perspective, over the past few years, what we've been doing with NASA and these different companies has been like groundbreaking things that we weren't really doing before. So what has changed with NASA that now we're ramping things up and, and we're opening everything? It's an incredible time at NASA because with you know the launch of SpaceX and then the launch of Starliner coming up next year and you know, the launch of Orion right on those heels, that's three brand new spacecraft that, that are launching from American soil all within the span of a couple of years. So I think a lot goes into that. These programs have been under development for quite some time. You know, additionally, we have great support from the administration from uh, you know, a budget and an objective and um, standing objectives that we need to meet as an agency. And so, of course, you need the backing of your, your country and your government in order to make these types of incredible things happen. And we've had the, the fortune of having that support over the past few years. That's awesome. So my last question for you is, what has been your favorite part, like, like the best hands down part about becoming an astronaut and your journey to eventually go into space? Um, I think, you know, the best part about becoming an astronaut, like when I first got selected, was really telling my parents, you know, was was the most exciting thing. And I think it was kind of funny too, I laughed because uh, my mom was always worried about me being in the military. And I told her, well, mom, I'm going to be a Marine. And then I told her, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to fly fighter jets. And she goes, oh my goodness. Okay. But whatever you do, do not become an astronaut. And I said, okay, mom, no problem. <laughs> and then, you know, years later, when I got a chance to to, to give them the phone call and let them know I was selected. Uh, you know, we just laughed. They were, of course, very proud, but I like to joke that that's the one time I think it's okay to not listen to your mom. You know what I mean? Um, so that's been great. And, you know, I think really overall, uh, one thing that that really strikes me that I, that I didn't really think about early on in getting to the job is the opportunity we have to do some public outreach, whether that be, you know, like a podcast that we're doing with you today, Ben, or, or speaking at an elementary school and talking to kids, it's really the influence that you're able to have 
on the younger generation and on our folks to give them something, you know, in this day and age to really be proud about and to look forward to. And especially just to see the excitement and the wonder in kids' eyes when you describe to them what we're doing in space and what possibilities there could be for them in the future. You can just see their little minds just start turning this excitement. And you just know, hopefully you've reached and you're able to influence a couple of those kids to, to stay in school and to study harder in school and to pursue those dreams that they maybe never thought were even a possibility in life or that they feel that they, uh, for some reason, are restricted from doing, then they realize and they know that the possibilities really are endless and they just need to go after those goals. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on. I actually have to rep. I'm wearing some NASA stuff just like you right now. Um, <laughs> thank you. Ben, I like it. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on and uh, we look forward to having you on in the future, hopefully. Awesome. Thank you so much. It was great to see you. All right. And that is going to do it for our episode with Nicole Mann, the astronaut. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to listen to some of our other episodes, you can go to our website, www.totspodcast.com. You can also find us on all social media at TOTScast. We are also on pretty much every single streaming and podcast platform. Just look us up, TOTS Podcast. Thank you again so much for listening, and I'll see you next week.